are listening to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and role-playing gamers. On the Shoulders of Dwarves. Hello and welcome to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the people who play them. They are the role-players. Role-players are the people who play role-playing games. My name is Ran Aviram. My name is Uri Lifshitz. And today we have a guest... I'm Ed Jowett from Shades of Vengeance, and it's fantastic to be here. Um, thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Ed. So, Ed, for those of you who don't know, is a prolific creator of RPG games. He has an insane number of Kickstarter under his belt. and I'm heading he towards is... 50. Wait, what? I, I, I've checked. I've seen like 27. Uh, yeah. Currently listed on Kickstarter, when I open it, it says I have created 31, and then plus 11 on the comics. Which is a different account. Uh, which is a different account. And then oh. I have actually run Kickstarters for a couple of other people as well, um, meaning that I've actually done five additional ones. So I've done 47 in total. Well, good for you, Ed. Oh, my God. We're going to have a fun conversation now. Uh, but let's start with you introducing yourself and give some context to all of those Kickstarter and what it is you do in the wonderful world of role-playing games. So I create role-playing games. Um, I am a writer, a creator. I like to build universes. For me, it is not about specifically creating role-playing games. It's about creating universes and then being able to explore and play within those. Anyone who has a quick look at our stuff will see very quickly that we also create card games. Uh, we create comics, as I mentioned just a moment ago. And um, all of these things are really designed to explore worlds in their own ways. So, for example, our survival horror role-playing game, uh, we are actually working on a comic in that world. Uh, we're also, we've finished uh, kickstarting, and I'm just waiting for the prints to come in from China, of our era survival card game uh, called Era Survival Colony. And, of course, there's the era survival role-playing game and several expansions that are linked to that game itself. So you said the keyword era. What is that? So, ERA is the name of my universe. It's also the name of my rule set, ERA D10. It's a multiple D10 dice pool system with a variable success threshold based on the difficulty of your action. In overall high concept, it's somewhat similar to Old World of Darkness or New Shadowrun, if anyone's familiar with those. Uh, but it does use D10s, unlike Shadowrun. The thing is that it's obviously got my own, my own tweaks on that overall idea. And the various games have modular parts which plug into a base rule set, which is true across all of the games, uh, sort of attributes and skills. But you might get additional... I was talking about Era Survival a second ago. Let's run with that. There's a karma system in that, which has mechanical implications that are unique to that game. And I assume that it exists in order to be more survivalist, that is, to create an experience that is more about the survival aspect of the game um, compared to, for example, what we are going to discuss later on, Liars, which will obviously have different... Very different feel. Yeah. Yes, because of the feel. Okay, excellent. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. The uh, the era survival, the special rules for that, you know, they're focused around limited ammunition or durability of items and they'll fall apart as you use them. Kind of the, the sort of thing you'll experience in uh, Last of Us, for example, when you're using melee weapons. They, they don't last very long. So in a way, era is not a generic system. It's um, maybe a skeletal sort of thing that is never by its own, always in some way augmented to fit a specific theme, a specific concept. Yeah, I see it as a, a framework with various modules that you can plug into it. Um, and, and yeah, in that way, rather than being a generic system, as you, as you say, because in my experience, generic systems tend to fall down somewhere. Yes. You know, that there's something yep. that they can't do well. They might they might do it, but they don't do it well. Now, the thing about some of the era games, it's not true for absolutely every single combination, is the vast majority of the modular rules you can take from one game and put in another. So, for example, uh, Era the Consortium, my biggest game, the sci-fi game uh, that I created first, I actually have an expansion called Revival, where I took the era survival special rules about weapon durability and so on, and I put those into the Era of the Consortium setting, so you get kind of a dead space feel. Yes. Okay. You know, limited ammunition, and, you know, you're on the run from all the creatures. Obviously, that was the world-building side of that. You know, we, we made a, a scenario where you're running away from all the creatures and the nasties. Um, but, you know, you've got your limited ammunition, you've got your uh, weapons that you cobble together and then they'll fall apart, and so on. And that means that you can do, you know, I might go, okay, well, here's my world and it's Era the Consortium, and here's my world and it's Era Survival, and even Era Liars. Um, and you might go, well, I'd like to do kind of a combination of some of those, and I'd like to put superpowers from Era the Empowered into Era the Consortium. Uh, you might have to do a few tweaks for balance, and eventually I do plan to put out a book which will facilitate mm. all of those tweaks, but I'm not there yet. I'm not done creating new universes and new rules and trying to put them all together before you've created everything is is an exercise in futility. So, it feels a bit like uh, what um, Evil Hat Production tried to do with Fate in a in a certain time, um, really insisting on the fact that all Fate rule set can be played and mixed together and in some sort of framework device. But I prefer the way you look look at it, the way of look. There's all these different settings with its overarching framework but you can still take element or a few element out of one and place it into another uh yeah i mean the reality is that if you put every single rule from every single game into a single thing it's in theory doable but you're going to end up with some slightly odd situations for example an assault rifle in era survival where you know the the weapons are less powerful might have uh, very different stats to an assault rifle in Era the Consortium, for example. They're called the same thing, but the weapons have quite different stats to help sort of portray the feel of the universe. So you could actually end up in trouble if you just try to just, just throw everything in one thing, which is why I was saying earlier, I, I do eventually plan to put a book together that does everything with the necessary tweaks. Let's talk a bit about Liar. Era, is it just called Era Liar? Premium Era edition? Liars. Era Liar, Definitive Edition. Definitive. What's, first of all, what is it? And second of all, what's definitive about it? Um, so Era Liars is a game where you are not adventurers. Adventuring is dangerous. You like your limbs. You don't want to lose them. So, you know, you're, you're, you're just going to be a peasant, right? Well, hang on a minute. 
When an adventurer comes back to town, they're just a guy with a sword and a story. You're a bard. You can do that. You go out, you pay your last gold to the local blacksmith, you travel far enough away so everyone doesn't know you, kick down the door of your local tavern, and yell, I just killed a dragon on top of that mountain! And from there, you proceed to tell your story. Uh, Now, all of this is sort of a, a framing device for the idea that the players work together to tell a story to the GM who plays as the audience of the tavern. And whenever the players say something that's maybe a bit outlandish, or even just of, you know, normal adventurer heroic levels, the GM has an opportunity to say that someone in the tavern doesn't believe them. So, for example, I punched a dragon. That dragon, he was so hard in the face that he fell unconscious. Uh, yeah? I'm not sure I entirely believe that, uh, says the town blacksmith, for example. So what you then have is you have an opposed role between the adventurer, the liar, and the town blacksmith. And, and you know, they'll both roll, for example, strength brawl in this case to, to sort of demonstrate the punching. Um, and that might signify an arm wrestle, for example, whereby you prove your superiority over the blacksmith. So it's not just a story. It's a whole action scene. It's a whole... Um moving dramatic thing that happens in the inn it's not just inside the inn yeah not not just the story that they are telling we are not inside the story inside the game we're in the game and they are telling the story and things happen while they tell the story so it's not exactly okay and and these roles you know they can be they can have some narrative around them you know in the in the game world or they can just be quick oh yeah okay well we're going to roll a strength brawl on that it depends how you know how you want to move the story along for example that i would probably normally just do a a strength brawl and say well either you win and the blacksmith believes you or you lose and the blacksmith doesn't believe you and both of those have consequences based on how much the audience believes you how much reward you might get at the end because that's based on who believes you at the end and who doesn't but equally, I had one person who, um, they were exploring the tower of a wizard. And because it's a wizard's tower, on the third floor, there was a lake with piranha in it. Uh, sure. As wizards sure. often have. Yes. Uh, don't, don't most wizards have that in their tower? I think so. Anyway, this guy said, yes, well, this would have been a problem for anyone else, but I can control fish. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah? So I wave my hand to one side, and all the piranhas swam to one side. Okay, okay, I'm going to make you roll for that one. That's going to be a luck and drive. Okay, a drive is um, both driving as in a wagon, but also as in cattle drive. Um, so luck and drive. Uh, he, he rolls it, and, and he just gets about five successes, and I go, oh my goodness, okay. You go outside to the, to the local fish pond, just outside the door. You wave your hand majestically, and all of the fish swim over to the left side of the, <laughs> of the pond so every single person in the tavern believes you. Excellent. I was just like, that's unbelievable. <laughs> okay, okay, this is an excellent story, and it sounds like an awesome game. Before you describe the definitive thing, give mm. us the link. Give us now for the listeners, for them to be able to go and kickstart your Kickstarter. Uh, where do they go on the internet? Uh, well, you go to Kickstarter, that's probably the best place. Or presumably you guys have show notes and you'll we have do. the link below. But people mm-hmm. barely ever check the show notes. I know notes. that's true. 
But if you go to Kickstarter and you search for Era Liars, then it'll mm. come up. It's also part of the... I, I've got so many things to talk to you about. It's also part of the Make 100 initiative, mm. um, which Kickstarter do... Uh, they do it quite frequently. I think they've done it the last three years, if I'm right. Uh, and I did do a project for it last year, um, which went very, why, very why well. Why don't you elaborate on that initiative for our listeners? Yeah, the idea is that uh, Make 100, um, you make 100 of something. Uh, I, I know, I know. That was a great <laughs> surprise. You never would have seen that come. But you mean a hundred copies off? Literally right? just a okay. hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be anything. I mean, some people go out and make a hundred bowls. You know, for example, um, they'll, they'll make bowls and they'll make a hundred unique bowls um, and, and people will pledge for those bowls. For me, it's a hundred copy print run of the Eralized Definitive Edition. It's going to okay. be the one and only print run for the time being. There are only 100 available, and the criteria are that you have to make a project that has uh, limited rewards that total 100. Okay. So on my particular project, Mm. there are 24 rewards that were available at the start. Many of those have now been taken, um, which give both the Definitive Edition and also some coins from the uh, Era Liars and also uh, a map of the city of Yarnolth. And uh, the remainder of the hundred are all available as uh, definitive edition rulebooks alone. So the collector's edition is sort of even more limited, if you like. But between them, they add up to a hundred, which is one hundred copies of this new hardback definitive edition era liars. Just to make sure, liar is with a Y. With a Y, it's yes. L Y R E S. Mm-hmm. Um, as in the instrument, because you are indeed bards. But also, it's an incredibly hilarious pun because I'm very, very funny. <laughs> it's always a good thing to say. I, I just want to um, do a full disclosure here. I actually know Ed because during the first Kickstarter of Era Liars, I've um, heard that specific intro which he just gave to everyone about Era Liars and what it is, and I immediately support that Kickstarter. I, I am, in fact, holding the rulebook in my hands uh, at this very instant, and it is an Excellent game, and I highly recommend it. And not only that, because of the way that we run Kickstarters, uh, your name is actually in the back of that book. Um, Because we put all the Kickstarter backers' names in there. So yeah, if you look at the back of the book, you should find the Kickstarter backers' bit, and you should find your name under there. It's actually said, Uri Lifshitz, off on the shoulders of dwarves. That's what it was to be put down. (laughs) Yep. Cool. Yep. (laughs) So what's definitive about it? So the definitive edition, um, we actually haven't adapted the book uh it was actually about i want to say it was three years ago uri um three and a half four years ago more uh yeah like four years ago ish that uh we uh first published uh era liars and created the core rule book and the deluxe edition and um in the deluxe edition, we included some stuff that wasn't in the core rule book obviously um particularly we included the bestiary um, which is hilarious. And uh, actually, you can find it online if you go to our website, shadesofvengeance.com, and uh, it explains all about, for example, the fact that uh, Cyclopes, you know, they're, they're lovely. Uh, they actually they swallow humans and cows because they're private. They, they just don't want to be disturbed. So um, rather than going out and, and, and sort of risking people telling about them, they swallow them, go back to their... Uh, underground city somewhere unknown um regurgitate them 
and they can live out the rest of their lives having traumatic nightmares. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, in total comfort. But uh, the reason they swallow cows is because they don't realise that humans don't speak cow, and they know just how talkative cows are. Oh, okay. Obviously. Obviously, yes. Yes. Um... So, uh, you know, I've, I've got this wonderful image of a sort of a, a, a cyclops sort of standing over a human and a cow and just going like, go on, go on. Like, like, like. <laughs> In a polite conversation. Yes. You know, don't, don't be so rude, you know, like talk to each other. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, that, uh, all of the bestiary, you know, not all of it's online, but, but a, a chunk of it is available online. But there were also a lot more things that I could have done. I later produced a thing called The Traveller's Guide to Yarnolf, which was uh, sort of taking that bestiary idea one step further. This character who wrote wrote the bestiary, as it were, um, Professor Rupert Wilton Smythe, uh, who is the leading... <laughs> he is the leading authority on on uh, magical creatures in, in the kingdom of Yarnolf. Professor Wilton Smythe wrote a guide to the towns and cities of Yarnolf and the customs within. And, uh, for example, uh, Ardeon Bridge, if someone were to rob you there, uh, or pickpocket you, I should say, rather than rob you, uh, so if they were to pickpocket you, it's rude to pretend to, you know, to, to notice. You have to pretend not to notice and just keep going. Uh, no matter how much they took, you know, it's, it's, it's considered rude to notice. This is where all the apprentice rogues go to practice. So, you know, it's impolite to offend them. <laughs> well, the thing is that uh, it's very clear from reading his work that he's been listening to some liars. Okay. And while he claims to be able to tell the difference, it calls into question how much of what he is putting down as actual fact is really true, you know. So that's in the definitive edition. That, that is being included in the Definitive Edition as well. Um, I'm also expanding the bestiary. Uh, I'm adding... I, I'm still deciding between 12 and 14 new creatures um, because I have loads of ideas and I'm, I've got a page limit I'm working to, obviously. You're adding 1d20 new creatures to the bestiary. 1d20 new creatures and I haven't made the roll yet. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I'm adding is uh, over the last nearly four years, I've had a lot of experience running the game, which obviously I'd playtested, obviously I'd, you know, I'd run games, and actually there are some games online on YouTube that were recorded for that Kickstarter. Um, So going way back, you know, they were actually posted on the original Kickstarter. But I've learned a lot more from running more games, uh, which is not terribly surprising. Mm. But that means that I've got a wealth of experience that I can now offer GMs that I couldn't offer them when it was a brand new game. And one of the big things I'm doing with the Definitive Edition is I'm adding new content for the GMs to help them run the game and help them make the game run smoothly. Um, Which I think is a really big deal. I think that that's really important and GM support is one of the most important parts of a game creator's responsibility. If a person cannot pick up your book and easily run the game, then you have a problem. And while I don't think that it's true that Irrelize was hard to run, there are definitely things that can be added that can make it easier. Okay, excellent. That's a good thing to hear. And that really is... You know that's that's the definitive edition in a nutshell. I'm also adding a few a few extra stories. Um, in particular, there's some audio stuff on the Kickstarter, uh, which I'd encourage you to to check out. 
uh, starring a character named Anne Trout, and in fact, Professor Rupert Wilton Smythe, who was voiced by me uh, at Great Protest, believe me. A Trout, uh, Anne Trout, is um, uh, she becomes his apprentice, and many of the new bestiary entries will say, researched by A Trout. Because again, <laughs> I'm hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Excellent. Um, the, all of that being said, your other era, I want to say product line, um, is not funny. You have a lot of different styles, a lot of different genres you go for. And I think that Lyle is the only one that's actually just meant to be humorous, while other stuff like, for example, you mentioned the first one, Eric Consortium, is all of sci-fi. You can play any sort of sci-fi in there. I assume also humorous sci-fi if you really want to, but that's not, that's not why you created Consortium. You wanted to provide some sort of sci-fi solution, if I, I assume. I, I am a lifelong sci-fi fan. Era of the Consortium is the role-playing game I wanted to create, the universe I wanted to bring to life. And um, it built on a lot of things. I actually created the first Alien for it when I was nine years old. And um, it built on a lot of things that I've sort of developed through my life. And what I did is when I got to the point of creating this universe and I had this epic history, I thought, well, shouldn't I use it for something? You know, shouldn't I have a have a reason for telling someone 500 years of history? Because, let's be honest, most people don't want to read real history, let alone fictional history, right? Um, and while we presented it in a very, sort of a very interesting way, which mm. I think is unique, and actually I've had a history teacher walk up to me and buy the book because they'd never thought of presenting history in this way. Um, we present it through short stories that um, allow you to get into the perspective of the people who are shaping shaping the history. But Era the Consortium, the reason the history is there is to provide not only a, a sort of a basis for the world, which a lot of sci-fi role-playing games do, but I got a little sick of having to go out and buy Firefly, the Firefly role-playing game. Actually, I think it's called Serenity offhand. I, I, I played it. I, I don't recall it. It was some years ago now. Uh, if I wanted to play sort of a, a trading thing, or or you know, Traveller, which does cover a lot of a lot of different things, but really it puts you in a fairly specific situation. Usually, that you're expected to be ex-military. You know, you're expected to have these various things about your character um, that are true, and you're always on the verge of war because the Zodani are always pushing people too far. Y you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and, and then, you know, Star Trek, if you want to go and just explore and, and not have that sort of era of that, that, that feel of war over everything that you're doing. And I don't see any reason why that has to be the case, that you can only play within one narrow section of science fiction. Uh, and science fiction was what I latched onto, but, I mean, it's often true for uh, superhero games, for example, Mosques. Sort of, it, it wants you to play in a certain kind very of situation. Yes, You're in your yes. city. It's very, very yeah. specific. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I love the game, but it limits you. And as the GM, you then have to put the work in yourself to make it into something else. Um, and that's why Era of the Empowered uh, is, is somewhat similar, because I feel, you know, you shouldn't be trapped into those feels for every single genre. And Era of the Consortium, really, as you say, it's designed to allow you to play any subgenre of sci-fi that you like. 
So if you're into colonization, if you're into giant mechs, if you're into wars against uh, giant insectoid aliens who uh, stab people with with large spears and things, you know, if you want to do the exploration thing, if you want to do cyberpunk and uh, the line between man and machine, whatever it is that you want to do, uh, if you want to do a Star Wars thing where you're the resistance sort of fighting against the oppressive and evil government... It's all in there, and all you have to do is pick the period in the history where you want to play in order to immerse yourself in that subgenre. And that means that you can do all of this under the one umbrella. All of the technologies have kind of an invention date. So, you know, you, you won't accidentally get the cyberpunk feel in the colonization when there's nothing if you don't want to, because you can just play at the start when all of that stuff wasn't invented yet. Equally, if you want to do that, you can go to a later colonization, because planet colonization happened later and later and later, you know, as they found more systems and so on. Um, So you can play a cyberpunk one where you're doing a colonization if you wanted to do that. But it gives you that flexibility under the same rules. Uh, I've even known people play as sort of the same dynasty, the same family, uh, and just leap around between all the various different places and play loads of different subgenre campaigns in a row. You know, it gives you that opportunity to do it. I love that. I love the the flexibility and the multi-genreability, if that's even a word, and the multi-theme options that, that you provide players with. I'm wondering about the whole thing. So, for example, when you started Consortium, you got a lot of people on the, the first Kickstarter, a lot of backers that wanted to play sci-fi. But then when you created another era something later on... Lies, actually. Lies, ah, Lies the, the second. Okay. It's very different from Consortium, both in feel That's and right. what it's trying to achieve and in scope. In, in Lies, you, you're going to play a spe- very specific sort of game. Um, did you get to see the same backers? And again, when you did the next Kickstarter, and again, again, because I know, generally speaking, in Kickstarters, when you do the second one, most, or not most, but many of the backers are going to be guys that already backed you because they know that... They know you can deliver. Yeah, yeah. That's what it comes down to. I mean, on Kickstarter, and I will answer your question in a second, but on Kickstarter, a lot of what comes down to, I think, whether people back you or not is... Do I believe this person is actually going to deliver or do I think they're going to run away with my money? And with 40 Kickstarters under my belt, most people can be fairly convinced that, I, that I'm probably going to deliver. But right? do the same people that wanted the sci-fi, hardcore or soft or whatever, also want to be balls that lie to poor villagers? Um, did you get to see a lot of the same backers or was it mostly new backers? So, honestly, it varies from game to game. Okay. Um, there are definitely people out there who are hardcore sci-fi fans who love my, love my sci-fi stuff and could take or leave most of the rest of my stuff. That's actually particularly true, not for sci-fi, but for superheroes, for oh. Era the Empowered. Because there are people who, will, who backed Era the Empowered and then three years later, when I finally got the core rulebook out on Kickstarter, backed it again because they wanted it and they'd been waiting for three years for it. Um... For Era the Consortium, I found that a huge number of people came back for Era Liars. And a number of people, you know, uh, sort of less came back for Era the Empowered. And a huge number of Era the Consortium people came back for Era Survival. And I've begun to see, through these Kickstarters that I've run, sort of a, probably a core group of maybe 50, 100 people Mm. 
who are very, very, very likely, I'd say like a 70% chance that they will actually back something that I create. And a lot of it also, and again, this doesn't surprise me whatsoever, a lot of it also depends on the price tag of the book. Yes. Okay. Because people who like a rule set, uh, the Era D10 rule set, on which I build everything as we discussed before, if they bought Era the Consortium or Era Survival or any of the others, and they liked it, and they see that there's another Era game for £5, then that's that's quite a tempting option. You know, there's there's not... There's not too much worry about, you know, oh no, I'm sinking a lot of money into this. And I found a lot of people, when I produced Eralize Pocket Edition, which was the second version of Eralize, I actually cut it down to an A5 pocket hmm. book, as I call it, uh, which was a paperback. Everything that you need to play is in there. I mostly condensed the text um, rather than actually cutting stuff. I mostly just cut stuff that was about the world. A lot of people who backed Era the Consortium went on to back Eralize Pocket because they knew the rule set was good, they knew it was solid, and they were interested to see what I would do with it, as as Uri's mentioned already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's a temptation for people when they see that something is maybe slightly multi-genre, and you know, putting putting a fiver on it doesn't sound like a big deal. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you consider these guys, or do they consider themselves? And when I say guys, I of course mean everyone. It's it's everyone. The, the genderless people. guys. Yeah, just just guys. Um, do you consider them, or do they consider themselves a community? Do you have a Discord server or a Facebook group or something like that? Or, yeah, or... we have both. Oh, okay. Um, so... Yeah, we have a Discord server. Um, everyone's welcome to join it. Um, the easiest way is actually to join our Facebook group. I'm going to be honest because the link's in there. Sure. Um, and uh, and and yeah, we've got a. Uh, we've got a Facebook group, uh, which is called the Official Era Games Group, brackets, Era D10. And, and yeah, if you search for the Official Era Games Group, you'll find it. And yeah, I, I think that, you know, that they are a community of people. I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily all aware that they're a community. Um, but we've, we've got some things that we're planning to offer to the community that we're not going to offer to other people during this year. Uh, in particular, um, we're going to run a large Era of the Consortium event because it's actually this year, uh, next month, it's the fifth anniversary of Era of the Consortium. Yeah, congratulations! Woo-hoo! Which is which is phenomenal. I I really can't believe it. I just I'm stunned that it's that it's been five years, and um, I you know we're we're, we're actually ready to run an event. Wait, wait! Um, All yeah. these Kickstarters are just from the last five years. Correct. And in the first year, I only ran one. Uh, well, two. One failed and one succeeded. Uh, my first Kickstarter failed, I would like to say. The the one I'm referring to actually failed, and I ended up launching a Patreon. And the the first version of Era of the Consortium was published, but it was uh, it was to a very limited audience, and we came back to Kickstarter in October that year. Well, uh, crowd, I find that crowdfunding have have a learning curve, and if you don't... Absolutely. If you don't invest the time beforehand, you're going to have to do it again. You look at it from the outside and you th- feel like it's easy to get £10,000. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just did uh, um, a Kickstarter for ourselves um, after four players. We got 25000 Um That's awesome. Oh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It was so much work. And when we finished it, we've got approached, and during it, we've got, we were approached by some people that were asking us how how to maybe start and do our own Kickstarter. And the first thing we, I, I say is uh, you probably don't want to go 
for a Kickstarter, you probably want to do something else. You might want to go to a publisher. You might want to go to an investor of some sort because uh, th th these things are a lot of work, but the Kickstarter is a lot of work as well. And you should probably go to the yep. source of funding that is best to whatever it is that you are good at. You disagree. And I completely disagree. Okay. Um... The reason I completely disagree is um, I, I agree that Kickstarter is incredibly difficult. One of the things that we do at Shades of Vengeance is we actually offer to help people create a game, get it on Kickstarter, and get it as successful as possible. Um, we basically offer the benefit of our experience. Uh, we do that via imaginerpg.com. I, I feel that Kickstarter is a great way to find out how to sell the game to the community. I I, I slightly disagree with you. Um, let me elaborate. I, I actually wrote a guide to how to run a crowdfunding campaign. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not going to publish the link because it's in Hebrew, so no one pretty much will understand that. And pretty much the first chapter talk about do you actually need a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign at all? Uh, but I think one of the main differences here is that I focus on crowdfunding in general rather than specific for games. And I think games have a lot of benefits in in which as a market testing tool, I completely agree with you. Yes, that, that's, if, that was what I was about to say, actually. It, it, the thing about Kickstarter with, and I'm going for role-playing games in particular here, it gives you an opportunity to get that first hundred people. Right, you might not make millions or, or off just, the first Kickstarter, or just to to know if there are a hundred people who are interested in whatever it is you're selling. Yeah, um, or if people think it's overpriced, or if people think that you need to do more than what you're doing, or 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 or, and there it, it lets you reach Kickstarter in particular lets you reach a worldwide audience of people who are interested in the sort of thing you're doing. I am somewhat agreeing with most of this, but I want to continue on and talk about Kickstarter, but specifically your <laughs> comics. I, I would love to know how come you branched off into comics. You also branched off into uh, tabletop board games and card games, but that is in some way more, in my head at least, more relevant, more closer to role-playing games. It's a game. You want to, and you said at the start you, you love creating games. You wanted to create new styles of games. Worlds, actually. He well, said he loved well. creating worlds. Thank you. You picked that one up because that's exactly my answer. I love creating universes. Okay. I, I, I'm not particularly bothered whether it's a game or not. You know, like... Okay. A game is a great way to explore a universe, to flesh out a universe, to learn about a universe as you create it. Because the things that you have to write for a role-playing game are the things that, that flesh out your world. Um, however, what I'm really interested in is telling stories in that world, and, and building that world, and, and bringing people into that world. Okay. So comics give you the opportunity to show you the world from the perspective of one character. I think that comics has so much power. And I say that as, again, I'm, I'm not sure if you know, but Up to Four Players is my webcomic. It's been running for four mm -hmm. years now. And mm -hmm. it was a thing way before we had a Kickstarter. Uh, we only went to the Kickstarter after we had the thing. And it's a webcomic where we tested out the world in a way and and definitely wanted to show off a world and, and talk about it and have it and 
כן? Webcomic was the way. However, I also have an artist. Uh, my partner for, in, in this is Aviv Or, who is an artist, and that's, that, that's what she is. That's what she does. Working with her is, for me, therefore, quite easy. Generally speaking, creating a comics is doable. However, it's very hard for me to imagine just wanting to do a comic and then heading out into the world and finding an artist and to work with. How, 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 what, how? <laughs> Remember that by the time I created a comic, I'd already published the Robert Primer uh, for Era of the Consortium. So I'd already gone out there, and I had been burned by more artists than you want to think about. Um, I've learned those lessons. I've learned who you can trust and who you can't, how you can assess things, and I've learned them the hard way. Uh, one of the things you said uh, um, a, a short while ago was um, about using the crowdfunding when you already have the thing. And that's very much the way that I approach the situation. I do not think you should go to crowdfunding to get money to make the thing in most circumstances, right? I think you should prove that you are willing to invest mm. to have that thing and then go out and say, look, I've made this thing. Isn't it fantastic? Yes. Would you like w- it? Would you like yeah, it? Completely agree. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the way that I have run every Kickstarter that I've ever run. Um, you know, I, I, I do not go out there looking for funds to do anything other than print this thing that I've already written. Uh, maybe occasionally get proofreading done, but... Okay, okay. Uh, final stages. Yeah. Basically, what Iran and Ed are both agreeing, and, and, and I support this message very strongly, is that if you are creating something, you should probably have a very well-established idea of what it is you're trying to create and have a lot of it already done before you're thinking. Yes, you yeah, have something to show, to something to talk about. And I think personally, again, especially in games and content, if you haven't done a lot of work beforehand, you would have no idea of how much money you actually need, yes, of course. what kind of manpower and investment it would actually require from you or from other people. Two of the crowdfunding projects which I've been a part of were for um, full-length movies. And if I haven't been working with people who have done, perform, created uh, full-length feature films and understood the commitment, um, I, I think it would have been important. I, I myself, I, I was the presenter for the first Kickstarter. I, I think we... We got about 10, 12 grand. That, that's US dollars. And I had no idea what I'm getting myself into. I, I've like worked my butt off for three months. And by the end of which, we just yeah, finished the you, crowdfunding. You just finished the funding, and then you then have to go and actually make the thing. Yes. Yeah, and that's just, just you know, you, you're, you're completely exhausted and suddenly someone's saying okay now we get to start to actually do the work yeah yeah it actually remind me of of um have you read the the long ships it's an amazing book about the viking culture and and lifestyle and there's a viking who wants to go out on a quest so he take his grandson with him and tell him see how we prepare for a quest 
uh, to go in search of gold. And they, they go to the blacksmith and they buy weapons, which cost a lot of silver. And they go and they rent a boat, which cost a lot of silver. And they go and they rent a crew, etc., etc., etc. At the end of the day, the old warrior asked the grandson, okay, what have you learned today? And the grandson answered, if you want to go in search of gold, you need a lot of silver. Which yeah. is how I look at crowdfunding. And You've got to have much, money to make money, to yeah, put it you, another way. Uh, money, um, time, yeah, investment, yeah. people. Well, t- time and money, um, at the end of the day, ultimately, they are interchangeable. Because I, I have chosen not to become an artist and spend five years of my life becoming an artist. I probably have the talent to do it. I could be okay. You know, I don't want to do that with my life. So you pay so I other choose people. To, yeah. I choose to pa- yeah, exactly. exactly. I choose to pay other people to do it instead. Yes. So, Ed, you're from the UK, uh, as yes, one can tell right. from your wonderful accent. Yes, the accent is a giveaway. Mm. Can you tell us something about the gaming community in the UK? Something which you, fa- you think that characterized the UK gaming community? So, I think the UK gaming community is quite disparate in general. You know, you'll get small groups, right, relatively. Mm -hmm. And the only time that they come together, really, is during conventions. So you get a couple of really, really big ones. You get uh, UK Games Expo, you get Dragon Meat, um, and and you get some various conventions, uh, Aircon up north. You get various conventions where role-playing is quite big. And then you get some, some slightly smaller ones, and... To me, um, what I see of the UK role-playing community as a whole is best summarised by contingency. Hmm. Now, this is a, a relatively small convention um, that's taken place, I understand, several years. Uh, I only went for the first time last year. It's in January, so I'm actually going out there in about two weeks. Um, I'm there, actually, as Era Liars Definitive Edition Kickstarter ends. In this, um, you know, people sit down, they try new games. There are three slots a day for six days, five, five or six days, depending on how long you're there. Some people only come on the Friday, but every single person is welcome at every single table. There is no, oh no, uh, you, you can't come and join us. Um, I was in a situation where I already had six players sitting down for one of my games, um, and I only had six character sheets. And a seventh person came along and said, "Ah, I don't have a game, can I join you? And I said, of course. Because that's the way it is. You know, you don't don't have to say, oh, no, no. Because every single person at that table will understand what you get out a piece of paper, scribble some stuff on it to make a makeshift character sheet when they all have printed ones. Uh, You know, sit down with that guy for five minutes, make a character, um, put, put something together, sit down and go, okay, really sorry about that, guys. Let's go. No one minds. And that, to me, is the... That's the epitome of what I like to see in the in the role-playing community. And I found that at Contingency. And I've not seen things often that contradict that. I've seen things a few times. I'm not going to deny there are people who are exclusionary, who don't want people to play or, or whatever. But broadly, I think that the UK role-playing community are a great great bunch of people um they all genuinely want to play the game and they want other people to play the games as well 
Um, another great example of that. Um, there's a there's a guy called Simon Burley who has been creating role playing games for a rather long time. Um, in fact, he was. Uh, I understand he was at least partially behind Golden Heroes, the the first superhero RPG. I understand back in the 1980s. Um, it was before I was born. So, hey. Um, <laughs> but uh, Simon uh, just recently reached out to a lot of UK game creators, including myself, and asked if we would contribute something, write an article or whatever, um, to a book that he calls Roleplaying Relief. Uh, the, the idea being that it's comic relief, um, and, and it's sort of a, an introduction to roleplaying games for people who've never played roleplaying games before. Um, what I did is I actually gave him the complete text to Eralize Pocket. Uh, because it's Very a nice. great game for anyone who's never roleplayed before. Anyone can pick this up, and all you have to do is tell the story, mm. right? Uh, as I explained earlier. But the support that he got has built a book which is, I want to say it's about 160 pages long offhand, you know, off the top of my head. And it's all just donated material. I'm not saying that Simon didn't do a massive amount of work, because he did. He put it all together. But people were just submitting stuff and artwork and and you know writing articles. I also wrote an article about how to publish how to publish books. You know, people were just submitting stuff, and this is the creators of role playing games who are based in the UK. You know, we we want to see more people join the community. That's that's all we want. You know, uh, uh, for purely selfish reasons, just because you know a our own games will sell more, B, we'll have more people in our role-playing games, you know, when we run games and so on. But, you know, everyone in the role-playing community, I think, wants to see that community expand. And I think that's fantastic. Is it already available? No, it's not available quite yet. Um, Simon's working on it. I, I'm going to be honest, I assume it's going to come out for comic relief this year. Okay. Because I had a proof at Dragon Meat uh, that, he, that he left. I wasn't able to talk to him. Um, he wrote some very, very flattering things about me that you'll have to buy the book to read because I'm sure. not repeating them. <laughs> uh, but he, he wrote some very flattering things about me. That's what I see in the role-playing community in the UK. Um, and it's it's great to be a part of it. Amazing. I live in London, uh, and I've heard a lot about contingency. I've been hearing about it, I think, ever since I moved here. I've never been because a whole week, a convention that takes a whole week, it's it's... Don't go for the whole I know, week. I can go for just the weekend. It's something, something intimidating about it. But I, I probably should just overcome the fear and come anyway. Go, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was, I was concerned. The, the very first time I was concerned. I happened to finish my previous job in December. Um, and one of the three organizers actually works with me quite a lot. He, he mans my standard MCM Comic-Con sometimes. Mm. He convinced me to go because I was free anyway. Um, and because it's run by three members of the Pathfinder Society, they were a little concerned that there were a lot of Pathfinder games and not a lot of other things. Okay. So I went there and I ran 11 of 14 slots. <laughs> right. Uh, this year I'm running 12. I, I take the last slot off because I go home on Sunday afternoon and um, I'm taking one evening slot off so I can actually sleep because running games from 9am to 11.30pm with only a, an hour and then an hour and a half break is, is quite quite a lot. I found it absolutely amazing. I have never run sessions on that kind of scale. Like, 
since university, I haven't really run a session more often than once a week. Mm. Uh, and when I say a session, I mean I do half-hour demo sessions at, yes, at, at yes. conventions but and not stuff. Just but like seat a four-hour yeah. session, more often than once a week, I have not done since university when I did a 24-hour game, and that was insane. Um, I I really got through it, and I really enjoyed playing with every single person who sat at my table. I have some amazing memories. In fact, some of those memories uh, were of Era Liars, and... I enjoyed the story that the Era Liars group did so much. It's actually being... I'm writing it up and it's going in the definitive edition uh, Era Liars rulebook. Hey, nice. Very nice. Um, Very because nice. I enjoyed it that much. And I like to include the things that people come up with in, in role-playing games in the canon of our books. I mentioned briefly earlier there's something we're doing with the community. There's a big event. I can't say too much about it, but it will start in March. And anyone who is on our Facebook group or on our Discord or within our reach is welcome to participate, whether you're a GM with a group, we've got sort of side... It's going to be some campaigns and then some side missions and campaigns that all affect the overall result, and it will go into... It's Era the Consortium related. It will go... The results of the overall thing will go in. Many of the characters will go in, I'm sure. Um, It's a fantastic opportunity, and I'm really, really hoping that the community is going to support me on this one. I'm pushing the boat out and crossing my fingers, because I have faith that the people out there are going to want to see Era the Consortium take flight again. Excellent. I have a, a follow-up question. Do role-playing convention have anything except games? Are there workshops? Are there, um, I don't know, uh, it depends on the convention. Uh, it depends on the convention. Um, when I do UK Games Expo, I always go, um, and I actually work in particular with one writer, uh, Darren Pierce. And Darren and I and uh, Jonathan Lewis, my my sort of co-writer and and, uh, business partner, particularly he writes a lot of the comics, um, but he also works with me on Consortium and and so on. Um, We go and we do some panels on how to be creative and how to, you know, how to bring your ideas to life, how to make your characters real. Uh, Last year at UK Games Expo, we did three, uh, three panels. Uh, The year before, we did a couple. And um, at Contingency, I think it's primarily role-playing games. They also do LARPs, they do some board games and so on, but I think it's primarily games. But uh, UK Games Expo, MCM Comic-Con, you know, I've done panels at both of those. Um, There are definitely a lot of opportunities to go and listen to people who want to talk about what it is like to create stuff. Awesome. In summary, then, because we are running out of time, Ed, just give us one final thing we should know about ERA. Uh, currently, of course, Liar Definitive Edition will give links and you j- can just go on search for it on Kickstarter. But what is coming for ERA in the next ERA? Oh. That's good. I like that. That's good. Um, as this year is the... Uh, Era of the Consortium's fifth anniversary, uh, we've got quite a lot going on, and a lot of it relates to Era of the Consortium. I actually did a count, and I've got 14 active projects at the moment, so um, I will brief it. Um, We're doing some audio dramas set in the Era of the Consortium universe, full-cast audio dramas. Uh, One of them in particular uh, is called A Titan's Rise, and uh, I can't say too much more about it. Um, another one, uh, is called Radio Free Tyrannus, uh, which we've been working on for some time. And, uh, actually we have an amazing guest star and I can't say who it is for another month or so, 
but it's absolutely brilliant and it was absolutely brilliant to work with this person. I can't even describe dream come true level. We have uh, miniatures happening for Era of the Consortium for the first time. Uh, they're being painted by some very, very interesting people who are uh, fairly fairly well known in the in the community. Again, I can't say anything yet because I haven't paid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have some more coming for some of our card games. So if there are any Champion of Earth fans out there, uh, we've got a new expansion coming. Um, we are doing a zine. So I don't know if you know about Kickstarter's zine quest, um, which is happening in February, but we are producing a zine with supporting material for every single one of our games so far, um, including Era Liars, of course. Um, but uh, Zine Quest is ongoing, and uh, we are ready uh, to launch that on the 1st of February. We are also, obviously, we're going to be releasing uh, Era of the Chosen and Battlecruiser Alamo, which were funded last year. Um, I have uh, another Era game, which is uh, being prepared as we speak uh, to go up onto Kickstarter, probably towards the second half of this year. We've got more comics. One of them has just gone up for Make 100, which is near the Consortium comic, uh, called Mobilization, The Bug War Number 3. <laughs> and uh, and it's sort of rounding out a trilogy, which may be extended, but it, it sort of rounds out the initial trilogy of the Bug War series. That's just gone up on Kickstarter today, uh, as of recording. Yeah, I mean, we've got some more empowered comics coming, uh, our superhero comics. Uh, we've got a number two for Blue Shift, a number two for Violet, uh, we've got a Penumbra comic which is coming, uh, which fits in a bit more with those, because we did some for that character before. We've got some anthology stuff coming. We've got some team-ups coming uh, for the superheroes, because how, how can the superheroes not team up? We've also got a couple more standalone heroes coming. We've got a lot of lot of comics coming. Yeah, it's, it's a busy time for us, uh, and we're producing loads of really cool stuff. So um, you can sign up to our mailing list if you want to on our website. Uh, just scroll down to the bottom and uh, click to subscribe. And of course, you can join our, our Facebook group, which I mentioned earlier, uh, or our Discord, and you'll know about absolutely everything that we're doing. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ed. And thank you very much, Uri. And thank you very much, people at home that listen to us right now. We can be found at dwarfcast.net. And if, should you want to say something to us and not to Ed, you can do it at show at dwarfcast.net. Or if you want to say something to Ed, you can go to shadeofvengeance.com. If you want to do something else, go and do that. It's a free you world. Should. You should. You should. Yeah, there are so you many should things. Go, go and play role-playing something games. That's initiative. awesome. Take That's like the, the best hobby ever. Go ahead. Amazing. And now it's time to take the load off. This world is carried on the shoulders of the wars. This is the part of the show in which we talk a bit about what we were doing with ourselves, what we were doing in our life, specifically role-playing games related, and specifically last week. Um, Ed, how about you begin? Well, amazingly, I've been writing Eralize Definitive Edition. What? I know, I know, you never <laughs> saw that coming. But I, I had time to check out... I, I did mention I'm a lifelong sci-fi fan. Mm-hmm. And I had time to check out a couple of projects on Kickstarter, and uh, Nibiru caught my eye, because uh, I've met Frederico before, and um, uh, he's a really nice guy. Um, I really liked the concept that he had for it, 
Um, so I, I kind of I spent a little bit of time sneakily not doing what I should be doing and writing uh, the definitive <laughs> edition, but but going ahead and, and reading up on that and finding that and having a go at the quick start and so on. And um, yeah, no, I, uh, I I really liked the concept. Um, I'd strongly recommend uh, sort of sci-fi fans go have a look at that because um, it's you know if you haven't quite found something that scratches the itch of. Um, sort of vast space station sci-fi. Uh, you could try Era of the Consortium because it's got that covered, but you could also try Nibiru. Um, the Kickstarter has already ended. It has. But, of course, you can register for some sort of late Becker thing or just do yeah. an, a newsletter and get uh, the news when, when it's out. Uri, what about you? Well, um, as some of our listeners may remember, I have a kid. He is... <laughs> two years old or will be two years old in two months and i thought okay i i should get ready because soon he's gonna start you know talking reading etc so i bought two very nice books one is called the abc of dnd and the other one is called the one two three of dnd <laughs> these are two children not even children there's like infants and it's just the one-liners about the abc uh, d is well, for dragon d is for dragons a is for adventures etc and it has wonderful wonderful drawing and paintings and it, it's just loads of fun it just arrived um, two days ago and you know just the showing the pictures to the young one and raising the next generation of dragon slayers or dragon riders or dragon friends where you know whatever or they spaceship want to pilots <laughs> uh, not, not specifically with those books, but yes, definitely. And th these are, you know, they're just wonderful. They're just teaching kids the ABC or counting up to 10, but instead of doing it with boring things, which is everything other than role-playing games, you can do that using role-playing games. Eran, have you done anything in the last week? Yes, Uri, I have. I haven't played anything because who has the time? Um, and, and also my party is just all over the place now doing all sorts of things. I'll go back to actual gaming probably in two weeks. But for now, I became the chief editor for City of Mist. And I was at first worried because that's a lot of work about a very big game. But then I worked on it today and it was pretty awesome because as part of the job I had to go and research some mythos and that's that's awesome uh mythoi actually not mythoses i should know this by now i'm the chief editor so <laughs> I, for example i read about spring hill jack which is apparently a thing yep Yep. Uh, it's a it's a British thing. Uh, Batman was based on Spring Hill Jack. It's super weird, and everyone should go ahead and check for it. It's on Wikipedia, and we we just have him actually as a her in one of the upcoming products. And it's fun that you have to read about it and then go and because I'm the editor, not the writer, I need to comment and leave comments and say what I think about how a specific character can be more. Jackie than she was before and in what ways and it's imaginative and fun and way better than what I thought it was going to be which is all just editing, 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 editing editing, editing, editing so uh, awesome and I'm happy I think one of the main problems I don't know if problem is the right word 
in my life is if I read about something really interesting, it will come up in the next session I'm running. That's not the problem That's not at all. Problem. That's, That's the fine. opposite of problem. It's called it's, inspiration. It's called... Uh, yeah, yes. We had an episode about it. Well, well, when I read about things, they end up in the next role-playing in game next I create. Era. Yes, they become the next <laughs> era game. <laughs> Irabalam is a brilliant example. Do, do, do you know how Irabalam came about? I, I, I don't know if we have five minutes, but I uh, have never played Elite Dangerous. Mm-hmm. I heard about the Elite Dangerous role-playing game, and I thought, okay... Okay. This is how I would make a game. Okay. Um which is about uh you know being a squadron of fighters. This is what I would do. Um and it also coincided with another of Kickstarter's initiatives so sort of um a particular theme got got uh enveloped into it. I actually I actually uh sold a, a copy to uh one of the Elite Dangerous team at Dragon Meet uh the year that I released it. Uh, because they thought it was absolutely hilarious that I'd, I'd heard about it and then gone away and created this game, this other game. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what happens when I read about things. So Uri, I I think you're all right. Yeah, the the problem is that you know I have no control over this. I'm I'm running an urban fantasy game at the moment, and weird historical figures are popping out out, out of the woodwork. It's uh, you know, a lot of. Uh, old French hermaphrodites of sorts suddenly pop up into existence as fairies and stuff, which is which is cool, I guess. I don't know. My, my players are happy, so I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was I was playing the Darksiders trilogy uh, when Darksiders 3 came out, and um, my, my next uh, my next pocket game is going to bear a vague resemblance for some reason that I can't possibly explain. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, everyone, once more. And now we end the show always on the same note. All of us say at the same time, goodbye in our own native tongue, which is Hebrew for and me. But I'm going to assume not Hebrew for Ed. We'll just say... Not Hebrew. Um, we'll just do it in three, two, one... On the Shoulders of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial 4. Intro and outro are by the Cliché Dio. And you can email us at show at dwarfcast.net. On the Shoulders of Dwarves.